1: And you're welcome back to The Last Word. It's Ian Guider standing in for Matt today. It's time for our Culture Club. And this week we're delighted to be joined by Adrian Crowley. You'll know Adrian as a former Irish Album of the Year winner and he's released nine albums over a career of two decades so far. Adrian, you're very welcome. You are originally from Galway, but you're working in Dublin just around the corner from us. Now, we haven't dragged you in just because you were on the street outside the studios here. Tell us what you're in Dublin for.
2: Well, firstly, hello. I'm delighted to be here. I um, Yes, that's right, just around the corner. Um, actually, I think it's probably, it takes it took me 30 seconds to walk from my desk to here. <laughs> I'm in the Dean Art Studios. I, I was awarded a residency there, uh, and I moved in in June, June the 9th. And it's incredible. It's really a wonderful thing that's happening. Um, an open call was put out for 20 places to artists of all different um, um, art forms, and uh, so I was delighted to hear that I was offered a place. And already I've I've been quite productive in there, so I'm really happy with it. I'm really, and I'm really happy to meet everyone else who's in on, on the residency. Um, there are so many amazing people there and i'm just very excited about the year to come
1: we'll get on to what you're doing around there in just a in just a little bit of time but what's going on around there it seems like an exciting project
2: yes well um there are there are people working on their paintings <laughs> there are, there are theatre uh, writers um there's a dancer across the corridor from me uh there's There's a novelist, a couple of novelists, a few musicians, everyone's just working away in their room, you know, and we meet in the corridor in the kitchen and it's it's a buzz of activity. It's the former music school, so there's this feeling of studiousness, like in the walls, you know what I mean? Mm. It's very conducive to working.
1: You can tell us what you're working on a little bit later on, but let's start off with (coughs) a bit more about you. You are originally from Galway, but you were born in Malta. Tell us about your, your family background.
2: Yes, that's right. My mother is Maltese and my father is from Galway City and they met in North Africa. <laughs> that's going back probably further than you intended me to go back, but um so uh yes, I was born in Malta. Um the family were moving around quite a lot right before I was born. We were living they were living in West Africa and then after I was born We moved back to West Africa, to Cameroon. Then, um, in the early 70s, the family uh, upped sticks and went to the west of Ireland. And that's where I grew up. Well, I grew up all over the place, I suppose. But that was where I spent my childhood and teens. And then I moved to Dublin. (laughs) Was there much of a musical influence in your family? Um, Well, unlike... Well, yes, I was going to say unlike other musician friends we didn't have a lot of music in the house, but in fact we did because my mother played the piano a lot and my two, two older sisters also played. And um and we you know we had lots of records and but I think I was the one that music kind of grasped with a really sort of um Firm hold, <laughs> and uh, I I ran with it.
1: What were you into at the time?
2: Um, let's see. When I was in school, I I, um, I discovered David Bowie through tapes that my sister, one of my older sisters, used to make from the radio, and um, I I had never heard anything like it. And he he was the first artist that that I really whose work I really dove into and, and was totally seduced by this world that this an artist could create. And from there, it was like a family tree where I was discovering other music related to that artist. And, and that's one of the m- most amazing things about, about music when you discover it. You, just from sheer enthusiasm, you, you follow these threads and discover more music. So that was that was what I was into then, and it was formative. I uh, I suppose then when I when I moved to Dublin to to study,
1: I say before we do, let's yes. let's have a listen to some of your mu- musical influences oh yeah, over here. So tell us about the the first single you bought.
2: The first single I bought, I believe, was um, "Oh Superman" by Laurie Anderson, and um, oh my gosh. What a piece of work, what a, what an incredible piece of music, what an incredible artist she is. Um, it, I was struck dumb when I heard it first. Uh, I think I was hypnotized after the first few seconds of that iconic ha, ha, ha.
1: <laughs> well, let's, let's let our listeners have a listen to two and see if it, it, it is as magical for them as it was for you. Let's have a listen. Um, the look in your face that you're looking you're listening to that, and it really does bring back something for you. yeah
2: absolutely um I and I also I think you know it's astonishing that uh, an artist can be so visionary uh, in a in a sense that something they create um, in in decades to come can still have some kind of well, relevance on many different levels, but also still to come across as groundbreaking and contemporary. Um, and as as someone who loves to tell stories, I, I, I really find that captivating. Um, it's It creates this this sort of uh, atmosphere out of very few elements and of course the human voice and the, the power and the soul behind it. I, I just think there you know, hearing that was something that r- profoundly affected me. And I'm very thankful for it.
1: Let's move on a little bit. So growing up in Galway, you start discovering music. When did you first think this is something for me that I have something I want to say. and I want to say true music.
2: Quite a bit later, really. Um, I suppose the thing is, it, it crept up on me in a sense that um, it was a very private thing for me playing music i I would stay in my room and n- no one really knew I was even remotely interested in singing or or playing um, and I actually even went through college without any of my friends knowing that I was interested in writing songs and then um it was only I suppose in my I was I was tw- I think I was 25 when I played my first gig which is you know for many Singers or people in bands—that's quite late. So a lot of a lot of bands break up when they hit that age, you know. Um, and so, yes, I suppose in that sense a late bloomer. Only stepping onto the stage—I mean, in that sense, I was a late bloomer. But before, I—I I, I don't really remember when I, f- I wrote my first song. I think I, w- I was a child, actually. Um, sitting at the edge of my bed with my brother's guitar and sometimes I find notebooks from back then with songs that I'd written that I'd forgotten about.
1: Let's go, so, let's go to some more of your choices because let's see if this has had an influence on your career as well. Tell us about your favourite album first.
2: I think that has to be by The Velvet Underground and Nico um that classic album with a banana on the front. <laughs> yes, that, that really struck me and really, it's it, it sort of, I found it exhilarating, um, mysterious, powerful, um, harrowing, it really shook me up. And yeah. I wanted to hear it again and again.
1: Well, we'll hear it now. Let's have a listen to Sunday Morning from the album. <laughs>
3: Behind you, there's always someone around you who will call. It's nothing at all. and
1: You said you were twenty five by the time you started performing on stage yourself. Yes. Who did you look up to as performers? Who did you model your style on?
2: Um, you mean like living performers? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I I didn't really have a role model at all. I was quite. I, I was also. I was pretty much a loner and very 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 shy. Uh, actually, not far from here, there was a club called the Dark Club, which is, I suppose, actually right behind the building where I'm working in now, in my studio. And that was one of the first places where I um, performed late at night. Um, I I didn't have one individual that I was looking up to, uh, I suppose. I I just was driven by this, you know, inner um, urge to let something out. Um, I was inspired, of course, all the time. I would see, I would go to concerts all the time and... um, I think I I was I looked up to to the um, the ideal of being someone who was able to offer to to share something with strangers from a stage. <laughs> that was that was what I looked up to.
1: Tell us about the people you've worked with over the years and how they've how they've helped you over the albums you've released over the, over the past number of years.
2: Oh yes, well. Um, gosh you know for for quite a some time I, I would make up, make recordings at home or go to a friend's studio and do it, everything on a shoestring and then and then uh, something happened around um, it was 2000 2001. Um, it was Glenn Hansford who gave me the phone number of Steve Albini one day and said we were talking about recording. and I called him up. And the next thing you knew, I, I was working with him in, in Chicago. So, uh, of of these icons, you know, of there were a few people I worked with who I I would say are icons of recorded music. Him and Thomas Bartlett. A couple of years ago, we we've got an ongoing collaboration. We, he produced an album for me in 2017, and he played on it and. Um, Thomas is incredible and a dear friend uh, he had a big influence on me and still does and John Parrish also who produced my last album and we're we're always planning to do more together he is a wonderful person and uh, influences me in many ways um, we we talk all the time about process of writing and recording he's also a writer a songwriter uh, the list goes on. Um.
1: <laughs> let's take actually, let's take it back to some people as well. Let's go go back to some of your musical choices because we always ask people about their favourite gig, and I think there could be a few more iconic people to watch watch live. Than yes. Jeff Buckley. Tell us about why this one stood out for you.
2: Yes, yes, I feel so lucky to have seen Jeff live on stage. Um, I was living in Toulouse in the south of France at the time. It was 1995. And there was this wonderful music venue there called Le Bikini, The Bikini. And um, I had just discovered Jeff's music through an EP that I picked up in a shop in, in Toulouse. And I, I was totally gobsmacked by his voice. And then not long after, I realized that oh, well, the, the album Grace came out, which I devoured. And then not, not long after, I, I saw he was coming to play. So I went down early, by the way, I, I um, at the time my French wasn't that strong and, and I wasn't communicating very well with people, but I could see there was an Anglophone artist coming to play in town. So I went down early, um, you know, assuming I might chat to Jeff before the gig, which didn't happen. He was far more popular than I realized <laughs> at the time.
1: <laughs> let's hear,
2: Let's hear a little bit of this, this is fantastic.
1: I'm lying in my bed,
3: blanket is warm. This body will never be safe from harm. I still feel your head, black ribbons of cold. Touch my skin to keep me whole.
1: Jeff Buckley we've had your musical choices there and we've spoken a good bit about the development of your musical career and we we're talking about movies as well which is something yes. I know you've had you sent out a long list of things <laughs> yeah. that we were we were looking at but tell us about the the, the choice we're going to hear from
2: The Night of the Hunter um, which I discovered was made entirely in a studio uh, but it it is an extremely beautiful lyrical and stark Film with its own incredibly powerful atmosphere. Robert Mitchum as a preacher. He, oh, he's incredible! Yes, Robert Mitchum. He's he's quite imposing and terrifying and captivating and and um he has yeah he has that the iconic. I know I've said iconic a few times, but love and hate tattooed on his knuckles. Um, and the music. Oh my gosh, the music in that film it's otherworldly too
1: yeah let's actually let's have a listen to robert Powell, to robert Mitchum this one
3: oh dear madam if you was to know what a crown of thorns i have borne in my search for them straight chicks
0: ruby go fetch them kids
3: oh madam i see you're looking at my hands would you like me to tell you the little story of left hand and right hand, the tale of good and evil? It was with this left hand that old brother came struck the blow that laid his brother low.
0: Them kids is yours?
3: My own flesh and blood.
0: Where's your missus?
3: Uh, she run off with a drummer during prayer meeting.
0: Where's she at?
3: Down the river Summers, Parkersburg, maybe Cincinnati, one of them Sodoms of the Ohio River. She took them kids with her? Oh, heaven only knows what unholy sights and sounds them innocent little babes has heard in the dens of perdition where she dragged them.
0: Right funny, ain't it? How they rowed all the way up river in a 10-foot John boat.
3: Are they well, Miss Cooper?
0: A sight better than they was.
3: Gracious, gracious, you are a good woman, Miss Cooper.
0: How you figuring to raise them two without a woman?
3: Oh, the Lord will provide. The Lord is merciful. Oh no, what a day this is and there's little john
0: what's wrong john come to me boy what's wrong john didn't you hear me boy john when your dad says come you should mind him
3: he ain't my dad
1: no and he ain't no preacher neither it's a
2: career defining role for robert Mitchum. <laughs> oh yes and what an incredible script and oh
1: Normally on a Culture Club, when we go through a book choice, we have a clip of the author reading it or somebody else reading it. But you've decided yourself to read this book and I can see the one that you've brought in. It is a, a very old copy of a book that's very important to you. Why don't you tell us about the book first?
2: Yes, um, the book, it's by Richard Brotigan and it's called In Watermelon Sugar. And the first time, well, it was a friend in France who recommended him to me. And um, really, I, I can't say I've ever read anything like it before it's set in it was written in the late 60s i think um set the story is set sometime in the future it could even be post-apocalyptic there's a lot of references to old um quarries and and um um steelworks and aqueducts that no one knows who built and no one knows what they were for and and um the days of the week are all different. There's a day where there's no color, for instance, and there's a day where there's no sound, and um, all the stars are red. And um, it's, it's idyllic and strange. And um, I'll, I'll attempt to read from this page. I guess you are kind of curious as to who I am. But I am one of those who do not have a regular name. My name depends on you. Just call me whatever is in your mind. If you are thinking about something that happened a long time ago, somebody asked you a question and you did not, did not know the answer, that is my name. Perhaps it was raining very hard, that is my name. Or somebody wanted you to do something, you did it. Then they told you what you did was wrong, sorry for the mistake and you had to do something else that is my name perhaps it was a game that you played when you were a child or something that came idly into your mind when you were old and sitting in a chair near the window that is my name or you walked someplace there were flowers all around that is my name.
1: I think in future we're going to have to get all our Culture Club inductees to read out a book or a poem for us. That was fantastic, for Adrian. Let's maybe move on to some, some things on screen again and go back to maybe your childhood and some of the some of the TV shows that stood out. And this was a little bit of a surprise to me that you might like this one.
2: Oh, yes. The Hulk. <laughs> the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, the story of David Banner, you know? a tortured soul on the run being pursued by this tire, tireless, um, private investigator or policeman. Was he, was he working in, I think he was just chasing him, uh, you know, in his, in his spare time. Um, and it was this, he was a pariah. I identified with him for some reason. I thought, I thought he was a kind man, you know, at heart. But he had this fury, this fury that was triggered, but only, only for, for good. It was never to exact evil acts, but it was too much, and it haunted him.
1: Yeah, and let's hear the Hulk come out.
0: But what's going on up there? We, we, we're getting someplace. Why don't you take your five bucks back? You pay what's on the meter. You're not doing me no favors back there, mister. The truck is obviously stalled, this lane is moving, so pull out into it, just do it! Twenty years I've been at this, mister, I don't need no driving tips. Now look, will you just get around him, just get in this lane, do it! Yeah, you happy now? That lane's just as bad. Now we're stuck. You should have cut him off, I told you this is an emergency! Next time, hire an ambulance. We will get there when we get there, mister. I've got to be there by five!
1: so you're going to be ten minutes late so just
0: keep your
1: showing up that tv show and i remember watching some of it in the 80s myself as well it was something that was just incredible as a series
2: (laughs) i loved it and the music too actually that reminds me um, once my mum came to dublin um, to do some errands, shopping, or something, and came back with a present for me, and it was the sheet music to the th- the theme music for the Incredible Hulk for piano, and I I learned that note by note, and I used to play it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to
1: one of your more recent TV picks, and I have to give the old health warning with this one for language because it is from it is from Fleabag season two, and this is where Fleabag's sister Claire gets a dodgy haircut. What what is it about Fleabag? Everybody loves it.
2: Yeah. Um you know, normally I, I don't really listen too much to, to uh Well, hype. I don't listen to hype at all, but um but all the superlatives that I heard about this were, were founded. I just think the writing is exceptional, the characters, the dialogue, everything, you know? It's it's um it's so poignant and it's very funny and it's moving the thing is it's not at all superficial in any way it doesn't go for cheap laughs there is real anguish at the heart of it and the sibling um, Claire yes the this the sort of tension between the two sisters is amazing
1: yeah let's have a listen in this clip and again just please be aware of this the language in this one No. Anthony?
0: No! That is exactly what she asked for.
1: No it's not. We want compensation. Claire? I've got two important meetings and I look like a pencil.
0: No! Don't blame me for your bad choices.
1: Hair isn't everything. <laughs> what? Hair is everything. We wish it wasn't, so we could actually think about something else occasionally, but it is. It's the difference between a good day and a bad day. We're meant to think that it's a symbol of power, that it's a symbol of fertility. Some people are exploited for it and it pays your fucking bills. Hair is everything, Anthony. Show her the reference.
0: Claudia, bring me the bin. If you want to change your life, change your life. It's not going to happen in here. Sorry, Sorry Anthony. Antonio.
1: Sorry, meet
2: Christine next week.
1: It's such a good show. It really is. We're going to, have to, we're going to have to move on to your final choice, and we've asked people now about their favorite podcast. Tell us about this one.
2: Yes, um, I know there are a billion podcasts out there in the world. So many, so much great. Material to listen to at night time by yourself. Um, this is a classic one for me, Lab. and I, and it's broadcast from um, WNYC in Manhattan. And I had the pleasure of meeting the the then two presenters, um, uh, Jad Abumrad and Robert Kulwich. Um It's a fascinating podcast with with. Beautiful, beautiful sound design. Amazing stories. Uh, stories about science. S- science. Science.
1: Lo- really good quality. Yeah. Let's have actually. Let's have a look at. Let's have a listen to this bit of it because in this episode, Deep Sea Explorer Bruce Robinson talks about stumbling upon an octopus brooding her eggs and the important events of the months that followed. Have a good listen to this.
0: An octopus moving towards the rock across the seafloor. Our hero using her arms to sort of pull and glide and roll herself along. She was kind of purpley-gray, dark, mottled, there was a crescent-shaped scar on one arm and a circular scar elsewhere. Cool, like tattoos. Yeah. Well, just so a sense of size. Can you fit her on your lap, or could you wear her uh, as a hat? Okay. <laughs> the mantle, the roundy part, uh-huh. was as big as a healthy cantaloupe. Oh. oh, how long are the tentacles? Foot and a half long. They're very stretchy. Ooh. Okay. Anyway, about a month later, we went back. And a month down. later, you see an animal heading towards a rock, and you don't wait to see if she gets there because it would not take too long, or why? Did- we weren't really focused on that; that it was just an observation. Oh, okay. Anyway...
1: When they went back in the robot sub,
0: a month later... That same octopus was up on a vertical face on the rock, sitting on a clutch of eggs. Her body covering the eggs, each of her arms... Curled in a a little spiral, tucked into position. How many babies was she sitting on? A hundred and sixty. They jellybean-sized, or...? Yeah, that's a good approximation. And Bruce and his team were like, Oh! This is great! We know within about a month when the eggs were laid. And they'd often wondered, like, how long does it take for octopus eggs to hatch? Does science not know about the brooding period of octopuses? Not deep water ones. Oh. Which was a totally different species of octopus and could have a totally different way of doing things, for all they knew. We know so little about life in the deep sea that something like this can be very illuminating.
1: Now, that was your podcast choice. Adrian Crowley, we've gone through all of your cultural picks. They have been absolutely fantastic. And ah. listening to you read from the book as well. I know, I can see from the book here now, it is covered with bookmarks. And yes. it is, I think it's the the, the dog-eared, dog-eared copy, as they say. So thank you very much for that. Before we let you go, what are you working on right now? Your last album was out last year. Are you working yes. on something for this year or next year?
2: I am working on my 10th album. It's all written. I've already started recording it. And I plan to have it mixed by the end of October. I can't believe, you know, it's my 10th already. <laughs> but yes, that's my next big news.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully from some of the songs from it will be somebody else's Culture Club pick in the next couple of years. Adrian Crowley, thank you very much for coming in to The Last Word, Culture Club this evening. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30 Today.